Hey, all you Australian nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There, Outback Edition. Welcome back. I'm Megan. And I'm Jen. And here we are bringing you wild and weird animal and human stories. I have a quick correction, Jen. Yeah, I don't remember which episode it was that we were talking about this. I think it was it was when we were talking about Tear Fastbender. Okay. But yeah, I said Coconut Joe. And the reference I was making was to the Mighty Boosh yes. uh, episode Coconut Willie. Well, let's just say this. That anybody that hasn't watched The Mighty Boosh, it's pretty... It's pretty good. It's pretty funny. I like that dry British humor. I watched it when I was actually living in England. That's perfect. Yes. But I also love British humor. It was back then, Mm -hmm. so I haven't watched it in a while. We were also watching the IT crowd. Yes. Which is also amazing. If you haven't seen it, go binge watch (laughs) all of it now. It's... the best i still still hands down favorite episode is when they start moving the smoking area further and further (laughs) away and she's like dressed like a russian babushka (laughs) and they have to carry she has to they have to carry her yeah so far and then she's like i'm just gonna stop smoking yeah (laughs) check those out yeah i haven't i do have a little old old recommendation i do have another recommendation actually i told you about it and i'm just gonna tell everyone i don't care how you do it like go rent or buy promising young woman it was so good i was like kind of skeptical at first i think because the cover of the the movie like the image they put up on itunes Mm -hmm. i was like "Eh, i don't know about this movie it's not a family friendly it is not a family friendly movie just, just making sure and it is a dark comedy right i love dark comedy it's so good obviously there i chuckled i cried a little bit like there's some sad <laughs> I parts laughed, i cried <laughs> it was good <laughs> yeah but promising young woman so okay. good also i love carrie mullion she's been in so many good stuff good stuffs good things good things <laughs> good things good good yeah. i am binging the crown which i know Sorry. everybody in this world has already seen but mm-hmm. i'm always behind on things like this but i'm watching i'm in the fourth season now i've only watched so season i'm watching one. the diana part you're you're ahead of me i'm finally on something (laughs) but yeah i will because i put it on my phone with my headphones Mm -hmm. when i'm doing stuff you did that cooking cleaning meeting thing right yeah with my kids yeah yeah. i'm like i'm busy i'm gonna call usually i'll listen to podcasts but i just lately i've been watching the crown because i think my husband would like it we usually we watch seasons together and what Mm -hmm. happens is we start out watching a season together Mm-hmm. And we'll both get into it. But then inevitably I fall asleep and then he'll stay up and watch like, you know, finish the episode and maybe watch another one or two episodes. And then we'll go and, you know, it'll be like the next day we'll turn it back on. And it's like all these episodes ahead of where I was. And I'm like, God damn it. Can't you just wait for me or watch something else? And he's like, but I want to watch it anyway. Yeah. So he's like, well, just watch it during the day when I have so much time while I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I just can't. You're like, it's fine. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, it doesn't always work out. Anywho, that is uh, my issue with watching um, any kind of... Oh, since this is kind of like our Australian episode, we're going to talk uh-huh. about some stuff in Australia. I do have another recommendation. It's on Hulu. It's called Top of the Lake. Yes. It's so good. Oh, yeah, you told me about there that. There are two seasons. One of them, she's in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And the other, she goes back to, I think she's like Bondi Beach 
area. Okay. Yeah. And it's great. Like, you know, murder mystery. Love it. It's a police procedural and okay. it's set in Australia and it was really good. Yeah. I dug it. Elizabeth Moss is the... Moss? Is that her name? I don't know. From The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, this is our Australia episode because mm-hmm. we have some Australian listeners. You guys make up like 30% of our listenership. Me. And so, it's, we love it amazing. too because we're in the same time zone. Yeah. You're just you're just straight down. You're just straight <laughs> down from us. Right. Down under. Sorry, I did it. So we, I, so I kept telling Megan, don't do it. Don't do any accents because you know we suck and it's just gonna, you know, it's right? just, it's just everyone's gonna cringe. But she's, she's holding back real hard. And I, I'm just gonna say it right now that I don't think I can keep her from blasting out some really <laughs> terrible Australian accents. But I imagine that Australians maybe do terrible English accents so, or so, American, American accents. Yes. When I was in England in grad school mm-hmm. and with all my British friends, they would try to do an American accent and it was <laughs> hilarious because they just did like some crazy John Wayne thing. Right. And it was, it was really funny. And I would make fun of them. I'd be like, oh, can I have a crisp? You know, like, just like, <laughs> It was really good. And they would laugh. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll try to refrain as much I'll, as possible. But this episode really is for you guys. Yeah. It's for, you know, you guys will probably know the story inside out. But there's a lot of people in this world that don't know anything about Australia or the stories mm-hmm. from there. So feel free to correct us. Like if we got it wrong, tell us. And we'll throw it in the next corrections quarter. We'll like, <laughs> we have a long list. So this and this and this were wrong. Yeah. So Jen, I'm going to come at you with a little Australian nature news. It's not like news, but it's just like a little fun fact. Yes. Little I fun, love it. little fun I, you know, we had posted a couple pictures of these animals. Yes. And like, I couldn't stop laughing. They were so cute. So the, the quokas? Yes, the quokas. I sent you, remember I sent you the picture? Yes. And I was like, I've never, I never knew. And I'm in love. Well, now they're, I mean, I'm gonna have to push some things down on my list of cuteness. And they're just like taking the second spot next yeah. to cats because yeah. they're adorable. They're ridiculously cute. The pose that they had that was the cutest could be an aggressive, <laughs> like, get away from me kind oh, of pose. Like with their arms out? That mm-hmm. one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where but it was just, yeah. but it was just so, imagine trying to just make people get away from you. Right. But you just look more cute. And inviting, <laughs> like get away! But you're like, oh my god, it's and everyone's give me a like, hug. oh look, oh. yeah, yeah. I was reading that they keep their mouths open to pant. They're they're like panting, which a lot of times animals pant when they're nervous or scared or right. whatever. But it just makes them look like they're smiling bigger. Yeah, and like even more adorable. <laughs> Probably they're like the angriest animals on the planet. So if you guys don't know what quokas are, they're these small marsupials look in it Australia. Up right now. Look it up right now. They're found on Rottenest Island. Rottenest? Am I saying that right? Well, we'll, we'll somebody can it. tell us. It's R-O-T-T-N-E-S-T. It's it looks like, like rottenest. 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 No, I can't do it. Don't. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it, Megan. So yeah, it's close to Perth, this island. And actually, it used to not be an island. It used to be that you could walk across the kind of larger air, ma- land mass over right. to that island. But... but- uh, you know, sea level rise, probably. So I guess during the last ice age, so 6,500 years ago, well, just like when yeah. the lower sea levels, not were too there. long ago, yeah, not too long ago. But the the traditional owners of Rottenest Island, and I'm gonna really fuck up this name. It's okay, <laughs> Wajuk Nungar people. Uh, they call it <laughs> yeah, Wad. That, just, that <laughs> yeah, sounds I'm real sorry. wrong. 
they call it W-A-D-G-J-E-M-U-P, Wajimup, which means place across the water where the spirits are. Okay. So I think quokas are like just really happy spirits. So there are actually around 10,000 quokas that live on Rottenest today. And there's also, I guess, some other smaller populations. And I actually, I got this information from natureaustralia.org.au. So that's like the Nature Conservancy for Australia. Wait, what is it? Because there is Nature Conservancy working in Australia. Yeah, it's the Nature Conservancy Australia. Oh, but oh, it's oh, the, okay. the website is natureaustralia.org.au. And it's just like meet the quokka, Western Australia's world famous wallaby. It's a wallaby. What did I say earlier (laughs) i i don't know i don't think you said but we said it was a marsupial yeah wallabies are marsupials but that's what i mean i think we don't say wallaby we just said said marsupial marsupial. okay okay. all right so the best thing about this particular article Uh is that they have tips for taking selfies with quokas (laughs) because i guess it's a very popular thing to go and let me just ask all of our australian listeners can you please send in your quokka selfies oh my god we will post them that would be so good i'm so excited to see them. So they have some some ways to take respectful quokka selfies. Uh-huh. You need to be patient. Let the quokas come to you, which I feel like that's like general rule of any kind of wildlife. Right. Except for bears. You just want to run away. Like, just run. There's certain ones you just don't wait for them to come to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess early morning and early evening are the best times. That also seems like an animal thing. You know, they get up and they're like, Busy in the morning, probably uh-huh. sleep during the day. When it's hot. Busy, yeah, when it's right. hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then busy at night, dusk. It's dusk time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quokus close to the settlements are the ones most accustomed to tourists. So I guess there are settlements on the island. Mm-hmm. So you want you don't want to go like into the deep forest and find a quokka. Like those might be. They're just <laughs> like flying at you, super cute looking. And then yeah. just land on your yeah. head. and Don't touch the quokas. I feel like that's obvious, but. I saw some videos, right? And then another one was don't feed the quokas or give them a drink. Human foods are very bad for their health. So I saw a few videos. There's actually one of the first things that comes up when you search quokas is like when quokas attack. And I was like, oh, my God. Love it. Um, It's just like people feeding them like little grapes or things because they're herbivores. Right. And then them just biting fingers because they're like, oh, is this a grape? I hope they well, there's park rangers there. I would think. I would think so. That would talk to people and be like, don't do, or signs and such. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these selfie rules are my personal rules too. Yeah. Don't touch me. Don't. I don't want your food or your drinks. <laughs> Wait for me to come to you. It's- <laughs> this is like personal, personal selfie rules. <laughs> in general. So there was this story about quokas painting them in a bad light that... Impossible. I know that they're the cutest animals in the world, but they also throw their babies the mothers, sometimes the joeys get expelled from their pouches when they're being chased by a predator. Okay. And it's not yeah. like the mom is like throwing their baby down, like eat this and like running away. Uh-huh. It just is that they're running quickly away. They're startled. No, it's the same thing with fruit bats that right. they carry their babies on them and Mm -hmm. if they are startled they can drop they drop their babies yeah it's not on purpose it's just nature well and also you know we know about swiftlets here same thing they get startled and they start flushing or whatever the babies get kicked out of the nest yeah which is very sad it's also just leave them alone but yeah that's the the point of that particular part of the article is like don't um harass them in general right for everywhere for all wildlife fun fact is when so I mentioned they're they're herbivores. They eat a lot of grasses and shrubs, and when they don't have a lot of food, they actually have fat stored in their tails, and that's what gets them through. Kind of like in their badunkadunk. In their badunkadunk. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is weird. Do they have like, I can't remember what their tails look like. Are they just like short little nubbins? It's like every picture I see of them is just like the the selfie style. So I don't even see their tail. It's oh. just like the front of them. Like I'm just wondering how much fat can be in there. Right. I mean, they look pretty, pretty fat. That's what's the part of their cuteness. I, that's they're exactly. Just so they're, squishy. They look like little potatoes with adorable faces. And I love it. And the cutest smiles mm-hmm. so i guess also on rottenest island the, there's not a lot of fresh water i'm assuming you know maybe that's in regards to rain or right. like the aquifers very some of the table table lens yeah. water lens is very small i guess they can also survive on very little water without drinking water for up to a month we go through this story and as i looked at several different species and i don't want to generalize here because probably wildlife biologists in australia would be like wrong that's so wrong (laughs) but i'm not gonna try to say it like (laughs) i have to you know every time i attempt an australian accent i have to think about this girl that i used to work with from new zealand and then adjust from her accent yeah that's why i'm so horrible at it have that little up yeah. Click at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh, the other way I think of Australian accents is by Foster's. Foster's Australian phobia. Right. <laughs> That's it. I just, we're not around any Australians. If we... Sadly. Yeah, sadly. If we had some Australians to talk to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we could, like, if I hear it right then, like, I could maybe, like, mimic it, but... Right, yeah. right. But why? Because it's bad. Because <sighs> it's fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's a, just a real quick thing. Junk food, you know how they were saying like don't feed them. Yes. So any kind of food, extra food for them that's not what they normally eat that they get themselves is really bad. Uh, and it, it turns out that the quokas found close to human settlements that are on the east end of Rottnest are social out- outcasts from the wild population. Oh, really? Like the other quokas are like, you guys are bougie as shit. I guess it's kind of like similar to like outdoor cats versus indoor cats. But... One of the problems for those outcast quokas yeah. is that they uh, scrounge around for junk food that they find in like uh, garbage cans and stuff like that. And uh, it, that actually ends up dehydrating them because of the salt content. Well, that's not good. But I mean, if they're scrounging around and getting it themselves, what are you going to do? But that's interesting. They're eating everyone's crisps. Is that what people in Australia call them too? Crisps? Probably. And and fries are chips. Still that's hard Just, for me. It's, it's hard for me, too. No, there were a lot of times that when I was in England, people would say something to me and I would get the complete wrong interpretation. Like pants. Oh, yeah. And and don't ever say you're going to wear your fanny pack <laughs> because basically you're saying you're going to wear your vagina pack. <laughs> My friends there laughed so hard and I was like, oh, God, I need to remember not to say that they're like <laughs> we're being so <laughs> <laughs> isn't your fanny just like your butt yeah well in um, in america yeah your fanny is your butt so fanny pack so it's like you're right but still kind of funny let me just and also... you say it all the time and i never say it so when i hear <laughs> you say it i'm like <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also how many characters in jane austen are named fanny oh really yeah, mm. there's so many like Fanny this or Fanny that like there. Well, there's a everywhere. lot of dicks. Maybe that's why. Maybe it just changed over time. Yeah, possibly. I mean, are there still people named Fanny a lot? I don't know for sure. I don't know. British, Australians, let, let us, us know. know. <laughs> we want to know. Inquiring minds, inquiring American minds need to know. We need to know. <laughs> so we don't on. say the wrong thing and offend. So Jen, that's uh, that's all I have really on the quokas. There, the Nature Conservancy does talk about how they have some wallaby conservation and protection deals going on because of all the fires 
that have happened right. in Australia and that, you know, they're trying to help save the wallaby population. Gosh, so go things, check that out. The whole thing is such a bummer. A real bummer. And the, the other thing that's, it's the fires. The fire was just terrible. And then also yeah. when it gets super hot there in the summers, or, the temperatures get so high that the fruit bats just drop out of the sky. I love that you talked about the quokas because I remember when we saw those pictures, I was like, hey, I'm going to do an episode in Australia. So let's let's talk about quokas. There's something about me saying quokka that brings your dog over to me. <sighs> He's like, oh, you want me to quokka closer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking to do the deadliest animals, but everyone already kind of knows them. We had an episode previously where I mentioned that everyone talks about how crazy Australia is with all these animals in Australia is like, but you guys have bears. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I just love Australia because they have adorable marsupials everywhere. Yes. So you have some scary stuff. Like the crocodiles there are scary. Yeah, so water crocodiles and... And other stuff. Octopus. Some crazy spiders and ants. Jellyfish. But all the marsupials. Until they get wet. I think I mentioned this before. I once saw a picture of a koala wet. Yes. <laughs> it was the scariest shit I ever saw in my life. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to the guy that talks about animals and he talks into his um Oh, his microphone. little microphone? I think oh, it's God, I love that M- guy. M-N-D-I-A-Y-E underscore mm-hmm. 97. So I hardly watch the TikTok, but this is my favorite guy on TikTok. He's the best. Hands down. Yeah. Well, because he talks about all different kinds of animals and he makes, he has a lot of, he has good dry humor. He's hilarious. Yeah. And he gives actual facts. So he did one recently where he talked about koalas and how not smart they are <laughs> at all. <laughs> Just like really didn't get it in the brain department. Yeah. But it's pretty funny. But anyway, if you ever go on TikTok, you got to find him. I, t- I, I sent you a bunch of TikToks yeah, until so, you finally caved. Well, you caved. were watching TikTok and I wasn't constantly yeah and so you would always send me stuff and finally i yeah i caved in and i started watching it but he's still my favorite yeah so when you talk about koalas getting wet it makes me think of him because he just did you need to go back and check his and watch that and one. watch that one on okay. koalas and it's pretty funny i have this pet peeve in georgia we have opossums right but in australia they have possums which are way cuter uh both are marsupials right i always get really pissed off when people in Georgia be like, oh, here's a possum. And I'm like, that's not a possum. Possums are marsupials in Australia. That's an opossum. Oh, my God. You were that girl. <laughs> I was that girl. 100%. You're like, when I was at band camp, we saw Listen, an, an opossum, opossum. And it ran past while we were marching. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't do that because they're nocturnal. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I guess we can get to the story. I already kind of talked to Megan about it. So she knows it's it's an Australian story, which I mentioned earlier, and is going to be set in the desert. Let's get into it, Jean. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. This story takes place in the Tanami Desert, which is located in northern Australia and stretches across the Northern Territory and Western Australia. So you may need to look at a map. I mean, any of us, when we're not from a place, we don't really know geographic, right. like where things are located. So the Tanami Desert is considered a bioregion, and it covers 310 square kilometers, which is 120 square miles for all of our U.S. friends. But did you say bioregion? A bioregion. Is that kind of like a national forest or? Um, a bioregion would be, yeah, how it's separated out 
biological. I mean, by oh, like a biome, like a biome, but uh, also it's kind of separated by the indigenous people's okay. lands. But there's some that stay on the edge of it. Anyway, I'll go there too. And just so you know, I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert. I'm just giving what bits of information to kind of give you an idea for the story. But right. definitely, people from Australia could speak much more to this, of course, right? Anyway, for for the U.S. friends, it's 120 square mi- 120,000 square miles. It's big, and I'll be doing a lot of these conversions because get it together, folks. America. So the western section of the Tanami Desert lies in Western Australia, because it's the western (laughs) section. That makes sense. Between the Great Sandy Desert and the Kimberley. That also sounds redundant, the Great Sandy Desert. (laughs) It's just big and damn sandy. And in July of 2012, 10 million hectares, which is 25 million acres <laughs> of the desert area, which is 38% of the total bioregion. Okay. So almost half right. was that's declared an indigenous protected area oh. or a conservation zone. Well, that's wonderful. And that's Australia's largest indigenous protected area, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So it's home to some uh, um, indigenous aboriginal Australian groups, such as the Kukachka. And I know I'm probably not saying it right. I mm. really apologize. No offense to anybody. I just, I tried to look up how to pronounce uh, the names and I, I honestly couldn't find it. And then also the Walpiri is another group. There's one other that's on the edge, but I just included those two. Okay. So they're the ones that really look after the lands mostly in well, this I mean, area. And technically, even though they have kind of what we would consider a large swath uh-huh. of land for them technically all of australia was at one point right oh well, yeah but that's a whole nother another, yeah that's another story for just another to, podcast just to let you guys know <laughs> that we're uh not unaware no no i mean it's the same thing in the u.s yeah it's yeah. all native american lands but is that one contiguous piece of land that's kind of yes that's the one thing that i'm kind of impressed by i guess is um the acreage and it's contiguous instead of you know, like I feel like a Pieces, lot of fragments. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we have a lot of fragmented um, national parks and stuff like that. Right. It's just like the wildlife refuge system. Mm-hmm. It's little refuges, but it basically is a web of following migratory bird pathways. Right. So they tried to pick up whatever pieces of land they could get to follow those like migratory birds where they go, whether it's mm-hmm. like wetlands or some other areas where right, they might right. land. That's how the refuge system was set up, in case right. you didn't know. That's a thank you. That's a fun fact. Yeah. Well, I used to work for them, so <laughs> I learned those things. So the Tanami Desert is uniquely, and this is a quote I actually got online, it's uniquely one of the most important biological areas to be found in Australia, particularly as it provides refuge for several of Australia's rare and endangered species. Very cool. A little bit later, after I tell this story, I'm going to talk more about that because it leads into how you can support if you feel so inclined. This story is set um, in January of 2006. A 35-year-old Australian man named Ricky McGee, and don't even start singing Janis Joplin, <laughs> Megan. Well, I mean, that's Bobby McGee. I'm not- I know, but still. Ricky McGee found himself alone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, 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 okay. Go on okay, with your story. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Ricky McGee. It's just, we're so shitty just making fun of somebody's name. <laughs> that poor man. Okay. It's like Ricky Bobby and Bobby McGee. Ricky Bobby McGee. <laughs> Ricky Bobby McGee. 
Uh, what if his middle name was Ricky Robert McGee? <laughs> Come on now. That would be reeling it in. <laughs> reeling it in. We got a long story ahead <laughs> with Ricky Bobby McGee. Woo. Let's get it. Oh, it's great. It's fine. Let's do this. Okay, I'm ready. A 35-year-old Australian man named Ricky McGee found himself alone in the Australian outback in a ditch or kind of like a hole covered with a tarp, which had rocks and sand over it. So essentially buried. But he wasn't totally alone, Megan. No. There were four dingoes pawing at (laughs) his makeshift grave. (laughs) When he came to, and he think that that's actually what how made him. How he woke up. How he woke up. We're okay. going to leave that right there, and we're going to rewind back in time. Be kind, rewind. Ricky McGee was born in 1971. I don't know his birth date. It didn't say, and it, a, lot of, a lot of the things I read were like, he was born in 1970 or 71. I'm like, really? Was he born in like the bush or something? No. He's just like a dude. I don't know why. Maybe he just never divulged his birthday. I could probably, he's on LinkedIn. I could probably look it up. Is he really on LinkedIn? Are you I guess joking? so. I think I saw um, a link to that uh, when I was searching. Oh, so. Is he this, is not dead. This is a survivor story. This is a survivor story. Oh, my favorite. Okay, Ricky. And I, I really feel like most Australians know this story. It wasn't that long ago. And it's, it's an interesting one. So he was born in 1971 in Gippsland, Victoria. There's not much about his childhood or much of anything except that I guess he had a happy childhood until they moved to Melbourne. I don't know what happened, but his father apparently died by suicide. Oh, so that's oh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, he ended up working a variety of jobs. He was like all over the place. And I know a lot of people who do this when they're young because they don't know what the hell they're going to do with themselves. So he was like a carpet salesman. He was a fisherman. He worked at a nightclub as like a bouncer, doorman. He mm-hmm. kind of was an electrician for a while. I think he's just jumping around to different jobs, trying to figure himself out. I you mean, know, I think I, we all work rando jobs, especially when we're young. Yeah. Well, and then you, you get experience in these like kind of random things. Yes. And then later people are like, how do you know so much about FedEx? And you're like, well. <laughs> right. I used to ship a bunch of stuff. All the yeah. Time. He also was a bailiff for a short time, cool. but he ended up having to spend a couple of years in jail because he got involved in um, some fight. He was in Perth. He was in a fight. And there were also some other drug-related offenses. So not so great. Anyway, so he got out and it was doing some other work. And in 2006, he was living in Queensland. And that's when he was offered a government position at Port Headland, which is in Western Australia. So Queensland is like all the way on the um, east side. And he's going to go to Western Australia. And we all know Australia is real big. Yeah. So he accepted the job and he decided he's going to drive. He's going to drive from one side to the other. Yeah, because probably because he's going there for this job. So but I guess he'd made this trek a few times. I'm sure a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. But it basically takes you all through the desert. It's like Australia's version of Route 66. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, there's like, well, there's a few highways. I did look it up to Uh see how the drive looked to see which route he was going to go. It looks like a pretty straight shot, but mm-hmm. it is right through the outback. And it's it's a really long drive. 
it's 36 hours from what I googled. If he was if he was truly in Queensland driving to Port Hedland, 36 hours of driving. That's 3,000 kilometers or about 2,000 miles. So that's, that's a lot of driving. So that's like driving cross country in the States. Yeah. And he's driving alone. Yeah. I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. He was driving alone. He had a 2001 Mitsubishi Challenger. Through this, he would cross the Tanami Desert along the Buchanan Highway. And that's in the Northern Territory. People from Australia probably would know, but everyone else, I actually have a couple of maps that we can post okay. just so you can kind of get an idea of where it is. It seems like it's like in the middle, but north, further mm-hmm. north, okay. so about where he was. So he's driving, and this is where things get fuzzy with his story. He had a couple of different versions from the time when he was rescued to later and his, um, when he talked about it, we're kind of jumping, you know, he was in a ditch. Eventually mm-hmm. he was rescued. What he told his rescuers was that his car had broken down. That was his first story. Then later, the Washington Post said that he had picked up a hitchhiker that had drugged his drink and left him for dead. And then in his 2010 autobiography entitled Left for Dead, How I Survived 71 Days Lost in a Desert Hell. <laughs> that's oh the title. It's not on Audible and I did not read it, mm. but you can get it on Amazon if anybody's interested. So this in this one, he had a slightly different and definitely more detailed story. And that story goes about like this. As he drove along the Buchanan Highway, he said there were three men along the roadside that waved him down. They said they had run out of gas, so he agreed to give one of them a ride back to an Aboriginal camp that was fairly close so that they could get help or get gas or whatever. Um, he kept like a little cooler in his car, which mm-hmm. makes sense because you're driving 36 hours. Uh, yeah, I was, so, was going to say earlier, like, does he have a bunch of fresh water with him? I like, know, right? Some gallons of water. So I think he, yeah, he probably had, well, you know, had his car pretty stocked up. So he had a little cooler and he was sharing drinks. And I'm using air quotes because I don't know what kind of drinks if he's like... Fosters. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. So I don't know what, if he was sharing some beers. So he was probably in, or, you know, maybe just like a soda. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Whatever. Do so, people in Australia call it soda, though? I want to know. I don't know. Soda. Do you call it a Coke? Pop. Coke, Pop. I'm from Georgia, so everything's Coke. I don't know. Well, anyway, so he was sharing drinks with the passenger. Mm. And he says that the guy must have put something in his drink because he like the guy got a drink out for him and opened oh. it and handed it to him because he was driving weird and i'm sure he's like cool thanks dude you know and took it like i i don't know most people wouldn't think anything of it because you're chatting and you're just sure. giving them a ride and so he says then he began to like he got real dizzy and he began to pass out and the other guy was like grabbing the wheel and they like careened off the road but then got back on and And later that evening, he came to and he was sitting in the passenger seat of his car at this point. He said he could hear voices nearby. He said, I jumped in the driver's side, sort of half conscious and tried to pull off, like get out of there. And somebody jumped on the back of the car. This is what he says. He said, then there was like this crazy like movie scene where somebody's on the back of his car and he's like, (laughs) like, like Batmaning it. Yeah, he's all like, you know, so he's. He's trying to shake the guy off that's clinging onto the car, but it didn't work. And the guy, th- this is what he said, smashed the back window and started throwing punches at him. And the car went down a ravine and was stuck. This is, this is a wild story. It's wild. Then he says he passed out again. 
And he drifted in and out of consciousness throughout that night. But he does remember that there were like four people or figures surrounding him and they were like going through his car. And he said at some point he woke up and asked them for water. And he's like, I don't care what you do. You take my car, take whatever. I just, I need some water. Like I'm so freaking thirsty. And they're in the desert. Like it's nighttime at this point. But if he had been passed out the whole day, probably he's. He's dehydrated. He said that there's people who live out in that area that do rob cars, take people's passports, money and everything that it's like a thing. And he feels like that's what they were doing. He wakes up the next day, no shoes, no socks nothing and he says that basically he was left for dead like they didn't plan for him to be able to get out of there he was left there to die wow and he said he was in shorts and a t-shirt okay other things i read was like he was naked (laughs) i don't think he was naked Naked i think he had i think he had either he had shorts or underwear and a t-shirt but he definitely didn't have shoes on which sucks Now we're back to him waking up in this shallow grave under a tarp with the dingoes. All he had with him were some his car keys, but no car. He had randomly like thirteen dollars or something in his pocket somewhere, and he had. (laughs) Well, he's got to be where hopefully he's wearing pants. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, and he had uh, a cell phone, which was dead. The battery was dead. Oh, so useless, useless. All the things are not helpful. What he really needed was some food and some water and a cell phone that works, maybe some cell reception. Mm-hmm. This got me thinking about how many movies there are in the U.S. about people traveling cross country and then this kind of thing happening. Oh, God. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad that it's like a universal thing. Those stories, scare, they scare the shit out of me. They're the worst. It's So the, remember when we were talking about the backpacking mm-hmm. on um, at the Appalachian Trail? Mm-hmm. and all the terrible stuff that happened. And you would think that, so I would think like if I go with my husband, yeah, he's this great, great, big, scary looking guy. Although he, he's not, he he's is. not scary, but he does look scary. Yeah. He's from the islands. Like he would just pull out a machete and I feel like people would just run away. Yes. He would just be like, I can murder you right now if you don't go away and they would run away. But that's not always the case because remember in those stories, like they just shot the guy in the like immediately killed whatever male was around and went for the female right that's the scariest thing and that's why we're not going to cover too much true crime yeah because it's too much oh uh, we there's there's a lot of people covering that stuff we'll just let them we'll let them do that deal with it we'll just talk about surviving you know, yeah surviving in nature <laughs> which is scary in and of itself so he had the dead cell phone. He's out in the middle of the desert. There's nothing. There's no one. There's no cars coming by. I mean, it's just so, it's so remote where he's at. And this is where his survival journey begins, Megan. Day one. He would spend the next 71 days in the Outback Desert. What? 71? 71 days. He realized, and this is something he found out later, that he was almost 20 miles from where his car was the last time he remembered it. I don't think he knew that at this point, but later he did oh, learn man. that. So he was pretty far. Like yeah. so maybe they took him and dumped him right somewhere further away. He it's, you know, he wakes up, it's desert, sunny daytime. Temperatures reach over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 40 degrees Celsius. It's hot. That sounds awful. During the day. But at night, it's cold. Oh, you always hear things about people who get lost in the desert that sometimes they die of like hypothermia. And you're like, how did that happen? Right. But it's nighttime. Well, but their bodies get so weak and then just yeah. can't. 
they can't regulate any mm-hmm. kind of temperature, especially in at night. It is cold. Yeah. So he knew right away he would need to find water. Like that's first thing. I mean, yeah. I'm outside for five minutes in the heat here and I'm like, oh, need some water. <laughs> it's like, being disoriented, he was still pretty out of it when he woke up. He says he got up and he fell back down. Mm-hmm. Um, so he couldn't really go anywhere that first day. He just decided to kind of stay put, even though he knew he needed to look for water. So the next day, he actually urinated in his underwear, and then he wrung them out in his mouth. You just got to do it sometimes. A little, nothing like some hot urine through those sweaty ass <laughs> underwear god that sounds really delicious um, <laughs> just like, no. it's like it's like no. a like a lemonade hot lemonade concoction <laughs> right so there it's a salty lemonade so i watched an interview where he talked about it and even the host was just like oh mm. <laughs> and he and he said yeah i suggest you let it cool off a bit before you treat oh, it oh god <laughs> No, oh no that no. just sounds awful yeah um yeah isn't that how many times can you drink your own urine does he do this i'm assuming he does this i don't think so i believe this was the only time he did this okay yeah it I was kn- full-on desperation yeah to get some moisture in his mouth i know it's only like so many times yeah that you can I, drink I your own urine and then I, after that it's i don't even know but i would imagine like three times maybe and then your Ugh. body's like stop well it. and he's already dehydrated so it's not like water I can urine. imagine that you're so dehydrated, you just need something wet in your mouth and it has to be um, like, you probably can't swallow. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to have something and... Viscous. <laughs> then he starts looking for water and he starts walking. Okay. And he has no shoes. And then- so, so here's something is luckily this time of year there, it was a rainier season than usual. So he, there was actually, he was able to find as he started walking, he was able to find some like little bits of rainwater that he was able to drink. So he, he did, he did get little bits, but then as he walked, he found an abandoned dam. He was in luck. There was water and there were like little critters. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's lucky. That is very lucky. Well, I imagine if you stay on a road, you're going to hit something at some point, right? Right. This was by the day five, and he was also getting hungry at this time, and he was scavenging. He was eating, trying out some insects, eating some grass, and he would just say he would eat whatever vegetation he could find that tasted good, but that's not very safe. That's not very safe. Yeah. He's lucky. He's lucky he didn't eat the wrong thing because that would be real bad. When he got to the dam, there were like lizards, leeches, grasshoppers, little flowers. And he also tried to eat a cockroach. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. He said in his own words, the cockroach was disgusting. I didn't even really eat it. I put it in my mouth, bit down, spat it back out again. And the taste stayed in my mouth for two days. But he did say the little frogs were pretty tasty. At some point, a lizard scurried past. And without even giving it a thought, he just like killed it. And there's no fire. He doesn't have any way to make a fire. He's just eating them raw? Well, what he did was he peeled the skin off and maybe with his car key or whatever he could find that was sharp and he laid it in the sun for a few hours to let it dry out. So it kind of cooked. I mean, 100 plus degrees. Sure. It, for like on a rock. Hours. Yeah. He let it, it basically dried out and then he, he ate it like that. And he said that wasn't so bad. He did eat leeches raw. Mm-mm. straight from the dam he also um ate the grasshoppers but i've heard grasshoppers aren't so bad like yeah. especially if you fry it i'm not in i'm not into it i have a hard time with the eating of things 
I've eaten like like grubs and like uh, uh what's it called worms. Yeah, never tried grasshopper. I though, just but... don't. I just uh, we had. I think we I had... mentioned it in another episode. I just can't do the food part. I would right, right. I would starve to death and die when I was, I was at. when I was in third grade. We read that book, How to Eat Fried Worms. Oh, yeah. And my teacher actually had us go out and collect worms, and we fried them in her class and ate them. Whoa. That's in, crazy. In school. It was crazy. I think about it now. I'm like, whoa, I can't even believe my parents let that happen. I know, but I kind of <laughs> like it. Yeah. So we did that. And then uh, in high school, my friend, my best friend, Rebecca, did a presentation for mm-hmm. biology. Mm-hmm. And she did hers and she just baked cookies with insects in them and didn't tell anyone in the class and then pass them out. But I knew about it. I mean, they weren't bad. I ate them anyway. I think if I were in the class and I didn't know, right. I would be kind of pissed. Yeah. Yeah. She did hers just on insects. I, I forget exactly what it, the presentation was, but then she just, she made these cookies. I mean, you should tell people. It was kind of funny. I mean, it was the 90s too, so. <laughs> <That's when laughs> people were still getting away with shit. Getting away with all sorts of shit. That's crazy. Um, so, well, so basically what he said is the only thing he really had to cook, like, mm-hmm. under the sun was were the frogs or lizards. Yeah. But everything else, he just ate it raw. Okay, so he stayed at that dam for about nine days, so just so his feet could recover. Yeah. Because they were real... Ripped up. Yeah, torn up from walking so far. And then, because he heard some planes going over, Oh God! and he thought, maybe I should go that direction. Maybe yeah. they're looking for me. Maybe I'm going to get rescued. And he said every day he thought he's going to get rescued, so... Mm-hmm. At that point, he left and started walking again. He walked for about another two days. Wait a second. So is the dam man-made? Yes. Was there like a like a facility, like some kind of building there? Or it was just like the dam? That was it, it. It doesn't really say. I know that there's a lot of little outstation, like maybe old farms or mm-hmm. cattle farms or, you know, along in that area. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure. It just said it was an abandoned dam, which I assume was man-made. Right. Probably for somebody who maybe at some point had cattle. Sure. And, they could... and no telecommunications and it's like old maybe or. Uh, f- yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't even have anything that would work anyway. Right. I mean, there are like real um, farms in places because he does eventually get there. Cool. Over the next couple of days as he's walking, he passes, he says that he passes out frequently because of heat exhaustion and dehydration. Mm. And he's just starting to get, I mean, he's starving. Yeah. Right. At this point, it's been like over two weeks at mm-hmm. least. And then he got to a bigger dam and it was full of clean water and had a lot of insects around it and a lot of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, sweet. So he ended up spending pretty much the rest of the time there mm-hmm. and what they call a humpy, which is Australians probably know that, but it's just like a little makeshift shelter. This one was, was already there and somebody had made it from like steel and mud and probably sticks and whatever. He ended up just, I'm going to stay here because I, I That's he, smart. Well, cause he's, he's barefoot mm-hmm. and he's already weak. He's exhausted. He's like, maybe I'll just stay here and just hope to be found. And you know, he was, cause he was getting weaker and weaker. And he knew, like, if he just kept walking, like, he might not find another place as good as this. Yeah. So this, at this point, he started losing hope. It's, yeah. You know, I think he's at that point where he thinks, I'm not going to get rescued. This isn't happening. And he started to have real thoughts that he was going to die out there yeah. in the outback. He even made a little cross and put it on his shelter. 
Oh my because God. he thought this is where I'm going to die. Yeah. And he just hoped that at some point his body would be found. In his book, this is an excerpt from his book. It says, um, no shoes, no vehicle, no food, no water, and no idea. I'd always been one of those blokes who ragged on people who found themselves lost in the desert. Now I was one of those people. It was harsh, desolate country for a man all alone and bare feet. Nevertheless, I started to walk and walk. And the more I walked, I figured the less distance I'd have to travel to get found. It was faulty logic, but it was the best I could come up with. Oh, man. That's pretty sad. I mean, most people would walk. Yeah. Well, especially you have to find water. You've got to you've got to hope that if you get, you know, you'll get somewhere to mm-hmm. where there's some sort of civilization. And he said it was difficult at that point. He was losing track of the days. When he was actually found, he was like almost two weeks off on time of what it really was. Oh, man. And once his weight started coming off, then it would take, he said it would take him like 10 minutes to even get out of his shelter and go try to get whatever water or food. Oh my God. insects <laughs> so he said it was a real effort and he in order to keep his mind occupied this i, I really <laughs> like this he said he watched the simpsons over and over in his head oh my god <laughs> well i mean plenty of material there. that's a lot yeah i mean <laughs> but was, i love it, it was he previously a really huge simpsons fan i it makes me think yes yeah. That he had seen so many Simpsons episodes that he could replay them over in his head. And I was like, what would, yeah, what would, what what show would, would I be watching over and over in my head if I were out there? Um, I can tell you right now what mine would be. It's the A&E version of Pride and Prejudice. I know that backwards and forwards. Like, it's almost like a song to me, like uh-huh. the dialogue and stuff. I don't even know what mine would be. It would be something like... Arrested Development or oh, that's good. Yeah. or Seinfeld. <laughs> I don't know. It would be somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. But I have no idea. But I, I like, I did also, I grew up watching The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And I like The Simpsons. I mean, I don't watch it now, but I it, was, it was, it's got some good stuff. Yeah, back I was when. not allowed to watch The Simpsons. <laughs> so sad. So Poor I've Megan. seen some episodes, uh, but I've, you know, I know like some things. Yeah. But not a lot. My stepdad watched it re- mm. like religiously, so I watched it with him. Anyway, so he th- played Simpsons episodes over in his head. That's so amazing. Of course, he thought about his friends and family, but he mostly was like, "When am I gonna be found? Like, when is this gonna end?" Mm-hmm. He's weak. He's looking real bad. He's had to start um, blocking the shelter to his somehow to his um, or blocking the entrance to his shelter at night because he could hear the dingoes prowling around. <laughs> And he thought that they were going to do something. Right. Like attack him or something because they're like waiting. They're like maybe waiting for him to die. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like circling. They're just circling. He said that each night he crawled into his shelter and hoping the wild, hoping to keep the wild dogs out. Man, too bad he didn't have some kind of weapon or the ability to make a fire. Shoot one of those dingoes. I know, right? That's a lot of protein right there. I know. Because that's the biggest thing. I mean, we've learned that from Alone and all these other survival shows is that protein is the biggest thing that they, you know, causes uh, the biggest issues. Not enough protein. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so the other problem with this is that his family, they weren't looking for him because they knew he was taking this long drive and he was going to this job and they just, maybe they didn't keep in touch with him so much. And since he was going to be far away... They they didn't like really start getting worried 
for like six weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they didn't even know. They didn't even. His sister, I guess, started worrying and asking around because maybe she had been trying to get in touch with him. And maybe she's like, oh, he's busy with his job. And he hasn't, you know, I haven't been able to get in touch with him. That's weird. It's well, it's not if you're not, you know, it depends on how much you're in contact with your family. That's true. You know, but if you're not in constant contact and you know that they're off on some new job journey, Mm -hmm. like maybe you would think like I'll hear from them in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, it depends on their relationship. But he said that um, they told police that he could be anywhere within this 2000 mile (laughs) radius and they didn't. So no one knew where to look. Yeah. The cops are like, great. We don't. Yeah. Can you imagine? Let's let's just a helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the other crazy thing. Mm -hmm. Apparently, and this is so Tom Hanks castaway. He had an abscess tooth. No. (laughs) And it was getting really bad and infected. And he freaking pried it out of his mouth with his car keys. No, 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 no. Yes. He did. <laughs> what if he accidentally broke his car key prying his tooth out and then he turns a corner and there's his car? Oh, my God. That would <laughs> be like the saddest thing ever. With but, like aircon, all his drinks are still in right? there and he's got, it's like full of gas. And it's, he can't open it because his car <laughs> keys broken. His car keys are broken. <laughs> that would be so bad. That would be the worst. I have never really had tooth pain, knock on wood. But we have a friend who had tooth pain, and he was taking like millions of Advil. I had every tooth day. pain once. Oh, that's it was right. terrible. Yeah. yeah, I just I can't. I don't. There's ever no me- there's no pain reliever that works. Right. Well, it it's just, just so close to your brain. Yeah, it just it's all it's bad. Creepy. Luckily for him, there were two station hands, which they call jackaroos, which I love that they're like they're like kind of like in training. So, but there were two jackaroos that were on a routine drive. Of the land. Mm -hmm. And when they came across what they thought was a walking skeleton. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Do they have pictures of him? Yes. And we will post it. Yes. So at this point, it had been 71 days since Ricky McGee had been drugged and robbed. And he walked out of his shelter. And he was so excited to see these two guys. And then those guys robbed him, too. (laughs) (laughs) When he was found, he said, I was so excited. I kept kept touching them to see if they were real. And they're like, listen, Stop here, touching creepy us. skeleton man. <laughs> Stop touching me. His weight had fallen. He was t- from 233 pounds. And he's six foot something, six foot two or so, yeah. to 100 pounds. Oh, my God. For a big, tall guy, that is crazy. He was taken to a hospital in Darwin. He spent three weeks there. Um, he was put on this strict diet because you can't just like start eating cheeseburgers right away. They're just like, have this cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eat 39 cheesecakes. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) But after the three weeks, he checked himself out. He also, when he talked to the Darwin police, they weren't sure because he had had those, his stories were a little off. And I'm not really sure Uh why. So at the time, the manager, there was a cattle station called the, I'm going to try to, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but the Birindudu... B I R R I N D U D U, <laughs> the Berendudu cattle station. It was thirty miles away. It was in. It's in one of the most isolated places in Australia. The, yeah. So the manager had said that that Mr. McGee or so, had said that Ricky McGee actually had the weather to thank for his survival because it had been an unseasonally rainy season. 
Oh, my God. And I can just see this old guy saying this. This is a quote. He said, it's probably not too bad. Throw Australian accent in here. It's probably not too bad out there if you've got a hearty constitution, which he obviously does. It's the middle of the wet season at the moment. So he had enough water to keep himself in a decent state. So it's not as hard as people think. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I lost 133 pounds. (laughs) He's like, whatever. It's fine. He's fine. He... That's nothing. Anybody like can do it. On the brink of death. I know. They're like no big and deal. And the, the, the guy said, um, there's a lot of frogs and snakes and lizards about. They don't give much nutrition, but they give you enough. You know, I didn't mention this, but it, when we were talking about deadliest animals, like yeah. Australia has, I don't know how many snakes that are like top five <laughs> most, most venomous in, in the world. Yeah. So when he arrived at the hospital, he was emaciated, but well hydrated so being staying at the dam like he was able to drink enough well that worked out the aftermath is a bit it's a it's weird so no one knew what to believe and the media kind of did weird stuff they suggested that there were some doubts regarding his account of what happened but in the end after a few years i think everybody was like it ha- i mean how could he end up like that they just weren't sure i mean about maybe how he ended up there they were never able to find his car which i mean that happens if well, it was stolen and it's in the middle of a giant expanse of land yes but no criminal charges were ever filed i mean likelihood of finding the guys who did it maybe he was like tripping on something maybe <laughs> he's like driving by himself and he kind of lost his mind a little bit you know, and then he wandered off from his car. I think people have speculated about a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, that, those kind of things happen. Those kind of things happen. Mm-hmm. So now Ricky works in, in construction. And he lives in Dubai. I think he was just peaced out. He there. lives in Dubai. He's yeah. like, F this place. I'm going to go to Dubai where there's also a desert. <laughs> right. So he must be fond of the desert. So why we can say that it's not too crazy for this to happen. There's a couple of other stories. There's actually, I didn't really write about it, but there was a string of serial killings for backpackers, but it was way um, further south and it wasn't quite in this area. A guy named Ivan. I kind of remember that story. I think I've heard that particular yeah, story. Yeah, so that's another story for another day. But and those then, are real bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and the guy went to prison and never talked about it, confessed anything, and he Jesus. died already. Uh, well, and then, Jen, there's the most infamous story that I think all Americans will know. It's Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Of course. I love that movie <laughs> and i feel like they did they did they tried to like recreate that with uh what's that one Tu wong fu but it was not as good right. priscilla queen of the desert is um i saw that amazing. a long time ago it was really good but mm-hmm. i that was one of those i would need to rewatch it because that's a that's kind of an oldie that's an oldie like 90s goodie. yeah right mm-hmm. so just real quick like i said i'm not gonna talk about the serial killer story but yeah. it did put a lot of backpackers on edge Exactly. That was real bad. And so people started being a lot more careful after that. In July of 2001, there was this guy, Peter Falconio. He was a British tourist traveling. He was like on this big, awesome travel adventure with his girlfriend, Joanne Lees. Mm-hmm. Part is kind of like the end of their travel because they were going to all these different countries and places. And they were traveling on the Stewart Highway near in the Northern Territory of Australia near Barrow Creek. And they were in a minibus. It's just so cute. That's super Or a combi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they were driving along and there was some car that kept kind of trying to overtake them or trying to stop them. 
and flagged them down. And unfortunately, he pulled over and the guy was like, hey, there's sparks flying out the back of your van. And so he walked around to look at it. And the girlfriend, Joanne, was inside mm-hmm. in the passenger seat waiting to see what was happening. And she heard a gunshot. Of course. The guy, yeah. Then this asshole, his name's Bradley John Murdoch. I don't know if everybody that kills people has three, three names. names or they just when they say somebody's name, they just give their full name. I mean, right. a lot of us have middle names. They don't want to they don't want to make a mistake. Like if if you were Bradley Murdoch <laughs> yeah. and you're like, no, I'm Bradley Andrew Murdoch. <laughs> no, this is Bradley John that's Murdoch. Bradley John Murdoch. Yeah. That's... Yeah. So this asshole, he went, got Joanne, tied her hands behind her back mm. and tried to tape her mouth shut and tie her legs. But she fought like crazy because she's badass. And when he went to do something, I think, move her boyfriend, you know, Peter's body, she just ran, fucking saved her life. And she hid and he wasn't able to find her. Oh, he later was caught and sentenced to life in prison. He's still in prison. But the sad thing is, is they never found Peter's body. Oh, no. Yeah. At least that's what I had found. So Joanne survived. Peter didn't, and his body was never recovered. And that is why you do not stop for someone waving down your car. Yes. Even if there's flames flying out the back. Just keep going. Just keep going. I did so many stupid things like that when I was, you know, Mm -hmm. younger. I've told people before. I've ridden up next to a car and like, hey, roll down your window. Like your brake light is out, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, But... You know, because I'm not a serial killer, I wouldn't be like, stop your car and get out. (laughs) I'm just like, hey, by the way, you might want to get that checked. Peace. I've like let strangers help me with my car because I had so many crappy cars when I was younger. Okay. I I have also one time. See? Okay. I was in a refuge, very, very large refuge in Georgia, and I was fishtailing around on these gravel roads Uh because it was fun. And I drove this little Mazda protege. That was my mom's. Anyway. You were fishtailing on a wildlife refuge, Megan? I know. It was so wrong. I feel like I should write you some sort of citation. You should. I got scolded a couple times. I was coming around this corner. I think what you were doing to the wildlife. I hope you've learned. I have learned. (laughs) Listen, on the inside of me is a rally car driver. That's all. (laughs) so i ended up in a ditch well because Because i was being reckless you were an idiot yeah i was being an idiot i was like 21 that's what you get yeah and i ended up in this little ditch and it jolted my battery and so my car (laughs) wouldn't start because like once you kind of shake the battery it's like yeah Uh and i was just sitting there and i was like oh shit i was you were by yourself well i was on my way to meet my professor we were doing Field research. We're doing field work that day. And you were by yourself? I was by myself. Oh, yeah. No, I used to do it all the time. Because I used to go to the field by myself all the time, like all day, all summer. I can't believe I didn't get murdered. It's when I think about all the random people that I would... Because there's a lot of hunters out there. Yeah. And there would be guys... I would have these snake traps and the funnel traps in my car. Uh And there was this... At one time, I locked my keys in my car at the gas station, this like random gas station in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Yeah. Middle Georgia gin. It's bad news. And and this guy was like, What are those what are those things in your car? And I was like, Oh, there's snake traps. He's like, Well, you're you're a snake trapping woman? Oh God. <laughs> I ain't He's never like, met I ain't never met no snake trapping woman. And I was like, Oh my and god. And then he steals you to his like cabin in the woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, I was sitting in that ditch and these two guys came around, these two hunters, and they were like, I felt uncomfortable. There was some uncomfortable talk that happened and they had, but they had a wench on the front of their truck. 
And yeah. they were like, here, we'll get you out. And they did. Thank God that ma- the majority of people are good. Yeah, I just kept saying like, oh, I'm meeting my professor. He's like right around the corner, mm-hmm. which he wasn't. He was like, I don't know, a thousand acres away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I mean, it is it is it is a miracle with all the things and stupid shit I did yeah. when I was younger that I'm still alive. But we're, we're telling everyone else with our, you know, depth of knowledge. Right. That you shouldn't stop your car. No. Just, and everyone has a cell phone now. Right. Call the cops. Even if a cop is behind you and you're not in a well-lit area, like uh-huh. public area, just call 911 and say, hey, there's a someone who's a cop behind me, I think. They're trying to pull me over. Can you let them know I'm going to drive to a lighted location? I just don't know between, you know, growing up where before car seats were invented right. or people wore seat belts <laughs> mm-hmm. and in the 80s being a little kid just going home with walking your key. like miles to go to 7-eleven and not getting <laughs> stolen kidnapped and murdered miracle and then being in the 90s all the stupid shit i did i just it's a miracle that i'm still alive like just really fucked up shit which yeah. is why we have a podcast called you're gonna die out there because it's like it's a scary world out there anyway it's a scary world. my next quick story is another guy who got lost in the outback his name is robert boguki B-O-G-U-C-K-I. That's a fun name. Anyway, he's an American fire fighter. Fighter pilot? No. Oh. An American firefighter. Oh, even from, cooler. From Alaska. And he went to Western Australia, was lost in the Great Sandy <laughs> for 43 days before he was rescued. Dude. So he was staying somewhere. This was in 1999, in July of 99. He was staying with um, some friends or girlfriend or something at what's called a roadhouse. Like roadhouse? Like like, road. like a bar? Like a giant bar? And Patrick Swayze was there? I don't know. But it says <laughs> that he left the roadhouse and he was just going to ride his bike across the Great Sandy Desert to someplace called Fitzroy Crossing. Is that like a motorbike or like a bicycle? His bike. But I don't know. So it it does said it was bike. Either one is badass, but and so and he got lost. So they searched for him for twelve days, and then they gave up. But then the family kept pushing it. They found some evidence that maybe he was around, or he had been there. They'd seen tracks or something because they hired mm-hmm. some people to help them find him. Yeah, his parents were like, "We're not giving up." They had trackers after him they found uh, footprints and they found a bible they found an empty water bottle a notebook and they found like um, a tarp it was after this 43 days there was a helicopter a news media helicopter that was flying around maybe because they're like oh the parents are still looking and they have these trackers Mm -hmm. and they actually spotted him and so they were the ones that actually picked him up that would be kind of a cool moment for a news channel oh they were they were all over it and they kind of were criticized because they were too had, much all over it. yeah instead of helping him immediately or getting him what he needed they were trying to get an interview oh my god so what he told them is that he ran out of food in the first few days and he kept alive by eating plants and flowers and he said that he just really wanted to have like this alone time he said to scratch and itch that he had had he wanted to find spiritual enlightenment in the desert which is maybe why he had the bible Okay, so, but did he get lost on purpose? I think he just went out further than he should have and got Mm. disoriented or got lost. So he also lost a bunch of weight. I think he was something like 40 some pounds, you know, 50 pounds. And not too much on that one. Just a little 
quick that yeah there's another guy that got lost out there and was found i'm sure there's a lot of stories people who got lost and were never found right which would probably be me because i'd be like i can't eat that (laughs) who knows though and you know desperate times desperate times jen we are so excited to tell you about one of our amazing sponsors who gives a crap premium recycled toilet paper toilet paper you say How can that be bad for the environment, Jen? Well, actually, toilet paper is made from virgin trees, Megan. And we all know that no one should be out there sacrificing virgin trees. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of (laughs) devil worshipery is this? But seriously, we all know this is bad for forests and the animals that depend on those forests. Also, it takes a lot of water and energy to process those sacrificed trees into toilet paper along with bleach, formaldehyde, and other unfriendly stuff that is used to make your toilet paper strong and soft for your delicate tushies. Want to feel like you're helping the environment each time you wipe? Well, try Who Gives a Crap? They offer both 100% recycled toilet paper and premium 100% bamboo toilet paper. Mm, premium. They also have forest-friendly tissues and paper towels. The recycled toilet paper is made from post-consumer recycled paper like office supply paper and other home paper products. Don't worry, it's not made from used toilet paper because ew. These are soft three-ply sheets made for a super comfy wipe. Like it's really soft and supple for your nether regions. Who Gives a Crap is also one of the only toilet paper companies that comes in cute plastic-free packaging. The toilet paper is wrapped in compostable, recyclable paper wrappers. The paper roll tubes are also fully recyclable and compostable, as well as the cardboard boxes used for shipping. And those colorful, fun paper wrappers can be upcycled in so many different ways. I've seen someone use it for, like, flower wraps. You can wrap birthday gifts. That's true. They're really cute. They're super cute. Yeah, so it, like, decorates your bathroom at the same time. And it's super affordable, Megan. You can get a box of 48. That's huge. That's a lot. They're all individually wrapped. And it can, if you have two people in your household, it can last you up to six months. So that's crazy. It's only a dollar a roll. And you also, if you go to their website and you subscribe, you get $10 off your first order. Sweet. Not that you need another reason to turn your bathroom into an eco-friendly paradise, but listen to this. Who Gives a Crap donates 50% of its profits to help build toilets in countries that have few to no toilets to improve sanitation for millions of people. The founders of Who Gives a Crap learned that two 2.3 billion people worldwide. That is 40% of our population. That's crazy. In the world. They didn't have access to a toilet. It just seems so weird to most of us who do have toilets everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. But because of this, nearly 300,000 children under the age of five die every year from diarrheal diseases caused by poor water and sanitation. That's almost 800 children per day or one child every two minutes. Mm. Not okay. So they launched Who Gives a Crap in 2012. Since then, they donated almost six million to local partners in this effort. That's insane. Okay, nature nerds, it's on. To make your first Who Gives a Crap order, use the link on our website sponsors page at you'regonnadieoutthere.com. There's one for the UK, there's one for US, and one for Australia. Mm-hmm. And by using this link, you go straight to the page that you can order from. And then you're also kind of helping us a little bit. Yeah. So get to wiping. <laughs> <laughs> get to wiping and feeling good about the environment. Yay. Megan. You know yes. you want to hear more about dingoes. 100% I want to hear more about dingoes. I know you do. Because <laughs> we are not from Australia, obviously, and we don't know much about dingoes. And I'm sure, so for all of our Australian listeners right now, you can just, you know, you can 
skip ahead. All I know about dingoes really is that they're wild dogs. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. And they eat babies. Right. <laughs> I'm like, right. Wait a second. <laughs> well, they might. They might. Yeah, they could. It's a possibility. I mean, in that one movie they did. So. Right. Yeah, it's fine. So technically, dingoes are not a breed of dog. So they're, they're not. They're dingoes. Canine. They're not a breed. Canis or whatever it's No, called. they're canines, but they're, oh, oh, they're oh. not a breed. Because they're just naturally dingoes. They're just dingoes. Right. They're no like they're not such evolved breed. Or... Like, yeah, evolved to some. They're, they weren't bred to be what they are. Right. They just are. They just are. They're semi-domesticated and are just as much wolf as they are dog. That's so, cool. Yeah. So it's unclear if Canis lupus dingo was ever fully domesticated. They say that at some point maybe they were pets and they were abandoned or left to revert to their wild state. They believe that they were brought over by travelers from Indonesia or Southeast Asia, that they were once domesticated and when they brought over, but that was like 4,000 years ago. It's a long ass time. While some of them would travel and eat with certain Aboriginal tribes, they're mostly wary of people and they just don't make good pets. They kind of do their own thing. So they are just like wolves. They're considered pests by a lot of sheep herders or Mm. cattle people. Um, There is the largest fence in the world was built to keep out dingoes. It's um, about 3,500 miles and it costs $10 million a year to keep it up. I mean, it was the largest fence until Donald Trump made that wall. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's also different kinds of dingoes depending on where they are across australia because australia is pretty big so depending on like the climate or maybe where they're at there's reddish ones there's golden yellow sand colors some of them have more of a compact body size there's alpine dingoes and they're the most rare and wild and they have a light cream coat and the northern dingoes have a finer stature and they don't have that double coat because it's freaking hot some people have kept them as pets but it's actually illegal in some places. So there's certain places that you can have them, but you need to have a permit, mm-hmm. like in New South Wales or Western Australia. In Victoria and Northern Territory, you can have you have to have a special, special permit. But other areas like Tasmania, Queensland, and South Australia, it's completely illegal. So are they considered ex- like exotic pets? If people, I have bet, them? I bet if you need a permit, permit for it, yeah. yeah. Here's something that's crazy. First of all, they can twist their neck like an owl, like to see, like oh, like 260 degrees. There's some crazy, yeah, yeah. yeah they can turn their neck. They can also have bendy wrists, like humans. Weird, oh, right? That's creepy. And they rotate, and it helps them to be able to. They can catch prey as though with hands. Like like with their little paws? Mm-hmm. It better helps them climb trees and they can even open doors. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Two things. One, dingoes can climb trees. What? Yes. And, and open two, doors. That's how they get to the babies. <laughs> that's how they get the babies. <laughs> they can open fucking doors. Isn't that creepy though? That's super. Okay. They're just like, the image. like I, I just, I'm just looking at maybe one has like, his paw like curled under its chin right. and then it turns its head fully to the side to look at you in some creepy ass way and you're like, I'm nope. going to die right now. You run in the house, you close the door, it opens it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you, just, you climb the tree, it climbs it. Oh my God. 
I don't see them as creepy, but this made them a little creepy. This that just changed it my added, mind. It added a... 100% changed my mind about <laughs> dingoes. I no longer... I totally am super creeped out by them. Yeah. Owls, it's cute that they can turn their heads so far. But not a dingo. But not a dingo. Right? If you do have them in captivity, and this is almost obvious, they can live a lot longer. So in the wild... They live somewhere between five and 10 years, but in captivity, they can live upwards Ooh. of 18 to 20 years. There you go. Little info about dingoes. Dingoes. Yeah. If you have a dingo, <laughs> send us a picture. If you have one, can you show us, like, can you have it holding like a teacup and drinking tea with you? I don't know. A Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Megan. How many times have I said that now? I don't know. It's so great. Let's talk more about the Tsunami Desert real quick. Okay, cool. We've put away Ricky Bobby McGee and the dingoes. <laughs> and the dingoes. <laughs> We're going to talk about the tsunami desert because I'm not much of a desert person. I know some people really love the desert and I do see the beauty there. I see the diversity. I see that it's important. It's a, for me personally, I'm not an arid desert person. All I can think about when it comes to the desert is maybe this was the bottom of the sea at one point like that's the only thing just so desolate it is in a way and it's also beautiful in another way sure i mean if you've ever driven through arizona arizona new mexico mm-hmm. i've my dad lives there but i used to kind of work in that area and i used to drive around what <laughs> fun story i marched in a parade uh, one of those one of the college bowl parades yeah the fiesta bowl we were in Phoenix and it was so freaking hot and it was December. <laughs> yeah. It was, I was, we were, and it's like you have to wear clothes underneath your band uniform. At the end, it was like, I was just like guzzling water. And we only, I think we only marched for like a mile. Yeah. God, it's, it was the worst. It's warm. But there's some, when you drive through the desert, it's, it's really beautiful. The rock mm-hmm. structures, the cactus, so this, you know, there's, I, I find it really beautiful. It's just not the kind of, it's not a climate I would want to live in. I would right. choose to live in, but I know a lot of people do and they love it. I, I will say as a reptile lover, that's the part that's interesting to me. Yeah. The reptiles that live in the desert. Mm-hmm. So the Tanami Desert is, it's considered a stronghold for many of the rare or declining animal species that are in the Northern Territory. Super rare. The greater bilby. It's a small marsupial with ears like a rabbit, legs like a kangaroo, and a snout like a bandicoot. It's super duper cute. You gotta look it up. I actually have a picture of it that I'm gonna put with our stuff. What's it called? It's called the greater bilby. So B-I-L-B-Y. And I guess there was a lesser bilby that is already extinct since the 1950s. Please, did you find it? It looks so random. It's so random and cute. There's also another one of the rare or endangered animals that's out there is, look, you got to look up this one. It's called a Mulgara, I think, M-U-L-G-A-R-A. It's called a brush-tailed Mulgara. It's super cute, but listen. Oh, look at his little tail. Listen to this. Megan, it may be cute, but he's also ferocious. Oh, no. (laughs) He's a little floofy, carnivorous marsupial. And it doesn't need to drink water. So that's where I got that. So they actually get enough water from the food that they eat. From the other animals. I see this picture of these two and they're like ripping apart something. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're so tiny and adorable. They're super cute. But th- there's just like carnage happening. <laughs> yeah. They like they suck out the brains of things. I love it. There's also the Australian bustard, which is one of Australia's largest birds. It can stand up to three feet tall or one meter. It's a ground dweller, but I mean, it flies, but it hangs out mostly in the grasslands. Uh, There's also the great desert skink, which is a really cute 
colorful little burrowing lizard. And then there's a few plant species that are also endemic to the Tanami bioregion. Threats out there are, guess what? Predators such as red foxes and feral cats. Oh, feral cats. Come on. Come on, feral cats. There's also introduced herbivores like camels, donkeys, horses, and rabbits that eat up things that they shouldn't eat because they're overgrazing the areas. I did not know there were camels in Australia. It's a desert. I would be like, bring us some camels. Yeah, I mean, let's do that. It makes sense, but like weird. Yeah. There's also a bunch of invasive plants per use mm. and vegetation clearing for mining and exploration. There's a lot of mining happening out there. There's also a lot of cultural sites obviously. Yeah. If you wanted to donate, I'll just have you know, and I was looking last night, I ended up texting our Australian friend, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. So she's a friend that we met when we were Peace Corps volunteers. And she was a, she was, um, a volunteer with the Australian Volunteers Program, which is kind of like Australian Peace Corps. Yeah, yeah. She is awesome. And I wrote to her and I was like, hey, because I know she's worked with a lot of cultural resources. Yeah, yeah she was... she's a cultural resources person. She's mm-hmm. worked with a lot of Aboriginal tribes um, in somewhere close to that area. So I asked her what I... she thought would be a worthy place to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said that there's a really good community ranger program. It's with the Central Land Council. So it's um, clc.org.au, and we will put that up. I I had a hard time finding, though, where you could donate directly to that, but it looks like there's a link that takes you to another trust that maybe you can donate because they have um, to provide jobs for people to manage their own lands as rangers. And there were two others that I found when I was looking up some of the species, and they looked pretty cool. One is called the 10 Deserts Project, and it's an indigenous land management collaboration across Australia's desert country, sustaining the largest indigenous-led connected conservation network on Earth. That's amazing. The project aims to keep outback Australia's outback healthy for the benefit of the entire world, and they're at 10deserts.org. We'll also put that up. And just one more. I know there's... This is three and it's kind of a lot, but there's also the Bush Heritage and they're an independent non-for-profit that buys and manages lands and partners with Aboriginal people. So they make protected areas and then work with people to manage them. So they protect irreplaceable landscapes to protect native species. Oh, that's great. And they're at bushheritage.org.eu. Those are three of the organizations that I think would be worthy Mm -hmm. to support. And with that, Megan... Yes, Jen. Let's talk about our emergency preparedness kit because now we're in the outback. What would you have with you to survive your months or days? Outback adventure? Your outback, yeah, outback adventure. Well, I mean, there's the obvious like a camelback. Just Just, water. Just water. A lot of water. A lot of water. Mm -hmm. A Fostas. (laughs) Fosters. <laughs> it's Australian for beer. A blooming onion. She just want to say, all this. <laughs> just, just get it out. Just get it all out. Just purge. Listen, I, in my head, it sounds like I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. Like, it's not. The, I'm sure. But when Australian people hear it, they're like, Jesus. They're like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely. Yeah, they're like, like I said, the obvious things. Camelback or a helicopter or <laughs> like, take a helicopter. Just, <laughs> Like, don't even drive. Easy. Just fly. Yeah. But he maybe he was driving because he needed his car. He was moving. Then I think he should have had something that was more like Mad Max style, you know, <laughs> like some extra tanks of gas 
and some things like flames up in the air. <laughs> Those like wheels that have like the things that cut up the yes. car next to you. Yes. Like spikes. 100% he, need- he needed a Mad Max vehicle. That's and how he you needed get a mullet. There. And a- oh my God. The most kick ass mullet ever. Yes. With like some red and yellow tips. <laughs> Yeah, so I definitely think the way that you get through the outback, it's like, yeah, you could have water, you could have all those things. You need to look scary as hell so no one will stop you. Thank you. So no one fucks around with you. Right. They're just like, man, I don't even want to deal with that. You would need a mullet and like a Mad Max vehicle. Yep, that's what you need. What are those called? What would those be called? Let me look it up. All right, Jen. So I I looked it up. We're back here. Okay. Uh, The Mad Max vehicle that I think would be the most appropriate in this instance is uh-huh. called the Giga Horse. It's pretty amazing. It's a vehicle built from scratch with a powerful and sophisticated drivetrain and highly modified body. The car is built on a custom chassis with a body made of two 1959 Cadillac Coupe de Ville sitting on top of each other. It is amazing. And that is what is needed uh, when you're driving around. Definitely a mullet. A Giga Horse? It's called the Giga Horse. The Giga Horse and a mullet. Yeah. But the Mad Max mullet. But a Mad Max mullet. It yeah. kind of reminds me of the bounty hunter in Raising Arizona. <laughs> oh my god, I fucking love that movie so much. <laughs> Isn't it? Like he had some yes. sort of crazy. Yeah. Right. So he had a he, he had, had a, a muscle very, car. He had a muscle car, and he mm-hmm. also had like a Mad Max look, like thing. Yeah. Well, and the boots and Hold the on, leather and studs and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, so the guy who was the the bounty hunter in Raising Arizona, he drove that crazy motorcycle. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He he had a very Mad Max ish look. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So you either need to be that guy and have a motorcycle and yes. carry like flamethrowers, flamethrowers <laughs> everywhere, just fire all over the place, and yes. and just the most badass, scary look. Right. Just be scary as hell. You paint like the black line across your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's oh, so yeah. Good. Yeah. That is amazing. I like it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's going to be more stories from Australia. I know there's more. Let's just make a shout, like a call out right now to everyone who's living New Zealand, Australia, PNG even. I mean, let's let's in that read. Please send you're us there, stories. You're from there. We want to know a cool story. Definitely. We need your selfies with the Quokas. With Quokas. The, your Quokas selfie. Yeah. We also need pictures of your dingoes. We need we need this stuff. I want to see all the things. Yeah. Please send us if you have any story. Hey, also, if you're an Australian volunteer and you have some cool because we did do some yeah. Peace Corps stories. If you have some cool Australia because you have them. Definitely. You know, we know you do. Yeah. If you have them, send them to us. We'll do a whole episode on the Australian Volunteer Program. That would be great. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Let's do that. Just email us at you're going to dial there at gmail.com. Well, and I guess even the shit your pants story could stay the same because your pants are your pants in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Doesn't and, if, matter. and if you had a, you know, an unfortunate accident, which you did. We know you did. We know you did. It's okay. It's a, you're, you're, it's a safe place. We want to hear your stories. Mm-hmm. But uh, so send us an email or you can go straight to our website at you're going to die out there dot com. And you can just write us straight from there. Yep. Uh, and look at all the other stuff on there. Check out any other episodes. Um, also, please do go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe and rate and review. If you don't have time to write a review or you just like don't like to do that, you can just do a rate. Yeah, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Anything less, we will not accept. That's okay. You can, you know, you can be honest. Be here. honest. Be, be honest. honest. We're good. We're always looking for feedback. Yes. 
there's only so many times that we can get the feedback from our mothers where they're like, oh, you guys are great. Yeah. So we will take your feedback and if it's constructive, we will make the changes. Yeah. We appreciate it. We're trying to make some changes on our own. Trying really hard not to say like and kind of right? so much, but and yeah, I'm sorry. planning on going back and doing some edits to the first couple episodes <laughs> to take out some of the like extra time that we had in there. Extra randomness. We're trying our hardest to like, you know, really cinch it up in the beginning. Yes. And trying to stay on track mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So which we're not doing right now. It's very hard. I mean, you don't even know the hours I cut from these things. <laughs> <laughs> and become a Patreon if you want to hear those hours of cut stuff. Yeah. Well, we promised to only put in the ones that we thought were funny. We would love to have some Australian nature nerds. Oh, man. In our Patreon. You just lost them all. I know. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. And with that. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.